Welcome back to another episode of Chats with Chuck. Today we have a more serious topic, the Ukraine border crisis. Today I'm joined by Dr. Kristen Sheridan, Dr. Bill Shara, and Anna Zutz. Dr. Sheridan has an undergraduate degree in international relations and teaches about Russia during various historical periods at the Harley School. Dr. Shara used to teach here at Harley and is an expert on history who has spent time teaching and living in former, former communist areas of Europe. Anna is an exchange student from Budapest, Hungary, and she will be able to provide great insight as a citizen of a nation from the former Eastern Bloc and that itself suffered a Russian invasion in 1956. I think before we get into any questions, it is important to provide background information on what's been happening in Ukraine. Over the last decade or so, Ukraine has been drifting towards the West. They've opened up to the West economically and politically, signing an agreement with the EU in 2012 to facilitate this. Most recently, Ukraine has considered joining NATO, a military treaty organization that includes America and most of Western Europe. Russia is traditionally allied against NATO, having its own group called the Warsaw Pact during the Cold War, which Ukraine was a member of. This is worrying for, Vla for Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, because it c challenges Russian hegemony in the region as well as global power. The situation is as complex as it is old. In 2014, Russian troops and paramilitary seized Crimea, a peninsula in southeastern Ukraine, and annexed it. Since then, tensions between the two nations have ebbed and flowed, but have gotten seriously high recently with the shift towards NATO. For the most part, Russia has just stayed involved by stoking internal conflict. Moscow backs an illegitimate government that has set itself up in Kiev. British intelligence recently reported that there was a Russian plan to overthrow the democratically elected president Vladimir Zelensky in favor of this government. Russia also supports the separatist militias and governments in the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine, who have been at war with Ukrainian authorities since 2014. In December of last year, Russia began amassing huge amounts of troops at their borders with Ukraine. Putin has said little on the situation, but top diplomats from the EU, Russia, and the United States have met to discuss it. Russia has demands in areas from energy to military policy, and it is unclear whether the West is willing to meet them. So far, diplomacy has had limited results. President Biden has weighed sending up to 50,000 troops to Ukraine, who already received increased military aid last year and are set to receive even more soon. Still, to date, no full-on war has broken out, but the stakes have never been higher. Um, so let's get into some questions about what's going on. I want to talk about kind of the way the situation could play out in the long run. So I, I want to have you guys kind of weigh the likelihoods and uh, the outcomes of these or, the you know, the global outcomes or scopes of these uh, end game situation, let's say, for what's happening. So what happens if uh, Russia invades Ukraine completely? I'll take that one. <laughs> Um, I would say what happens is that the United States uh, just funds Ukrainian fighters. I don't think we will put troops in. Do you believe that the United States would allow Ukraine to be completely overrun by Russia? Yeah, I think so. I think that what it would become would be like a proxy war where we would just fund the Ukrainians and hope it is Putin's forever war. Anna, you're nodding. Do you have anything to say about this? Uh, yeah, I, I do agree that the U.S. wouldn't help with any troops. And I do think um, the invasion of Ukraine would come with a lot of um, immigrants to, like, um, Poland and Hungary and other, like, remote countries. So that's a really good point. 
kind of that what would be the broader effect on Europe then of Russia completely invading Ukraine and the United States allowing it to happen? Anyone? Well, I, I just want to back it up just a bit. Um, that's a harder question, to, I think, kind of answer. But um, from what I've seen, they estimate that if he did do a full-scale attack, and at this point, he's about 70% ready. So he's got about 130,000 troops. but um, Constantly increasing. Constantly increasing, as is the military hardware. But they've estimated that probably 100,000 civilian casualties. Um, and Anna's right about the refugee situation. They, they sort of think that anywhere between 1 and 5 million People will be refugees from the Ukraine, uh, which would be catastrophic. And Europe has had enough issues with refugees. Well, they, even yeah. more displaced persons could be. Oh yeah, this is a whole different scale, right? <laughs> um, and of course, uh, Zelensky would be replaced without a doubt, and they would become a puppet regime of of Putin. So it's almost going back to Yushchenko. Um, or Yanukovych, um, when, you know, they ousted him in 2014 and, um, you know, it would be disastrous. And what changes for the Ukrainian people? Huh, everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I just think like the, uh, most of what's left of Ukraine leans west towards Europe. They certainly would lose their democracy. Um, so that's a huge change. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I think socially it would be like a really big um, trauma for Ukrainian people because they have been fighting fighting for their like um, individuality from, from the Russian identity, trying to join this Western picture. And um, that's like, as someone from a former Soviet bloc country, that's like a really, really big fight. Um, it's really hard to separate a country from from Russia that has been part of the Soviet Union, um, and and that's definitely like a really big emotional trauma for a lot of citizens. Is the past association with the Soviet Union something that you think about a lot, or that people think about a lot in Hungarian society? Um, definitely, yes. Um, like. I think it really shows how people act. So, like, I can definitely tell that my grandma has grown up in um, in this really scary and regime because, like, she doesn't talk about politics. Like, there's just, like, these small things that can, like, tell you who has been through um, the Soviet Union's, like, terror and who hasn't. Was your grandmother there when Hungary was invaded? Um, no, she wasn't born yet. But she was there when, like, a lot of really bad things happened. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, she doesn't, like, you know, she's afraid, still afraid of this whole situation. Because it's just, like, she grew up in it, and it's in her. So this, so this fear now is then ever more real for Ukrainians. Um, let's talk about kind of a, another outcome. That Russia does something similar to what happened with Crimea, and they just annex more of Ukraine using conventional and proxy forces, some of their little green men, uh, however they choose to do it. And they basically create a corridor between Crimea and Russia. What? How does this affect um, uh, 
politics in Europe. That's the status quo already. It's there. Getting getting a land corridor. Yeah, you, you don't think that makes a difference? No, there's a, there's a, the he's already there with troops. In fact, um, they have in Kiev they have this very large sort of public um, board. And on it are the pictures of approximately 14,000 Ukrainians who have died in the East trying to prevent Putin from going any further, right? Um, so that's, that's it's already the situation there. So it's just a question of how is he going to—he's he's occupied much of eastern Ukraine. He already has uh, Crimea. Um, they're at war. And so that's the status quo right now. And the only question is— is he going to come in from the north? Is he going to take Kiev? Is he going to take the whole country? Um, that's to be seen. And do if there is some sort of um, upscale in aggression without completely getting rid of the Ukrainian government, do you think we see Ukraine definitely joining NATO? Okay. Anna says no. Um, I do believe that a really possible outcome is the what I like to call the Finlandization of Ukraine. Um, so when um, Russia, the Soviet Union, excuse me, tried to um, attack Finland and they lost, they made an agreement with the NATO countries that um, Finland won't join NATO, but they would rather work as like a buffer state between um, between Eastern and um and Western uh, military unions. So I think... Do, do they have some sort of protection from NATO? Um, hmm. I don't think... No. Yeah, I don't think Finland does. I think it was just an understanding. I've heard yeah. the same thing about the Finlandization of it. And, I, you know, I, I don't think... I don't think it's... I don't think it's out of line for Putin to hope that Ukraine doesn't join NATO, and we never really were fully considering them joining NATO. I, I think you have to understand the desire for a buffer zone from the NATO states. I do understand that for him, and he yeah. certainly sees. I mean, if if Ukraine goes to NATO, that is that opens the door for U.S. missiles being pointed. You know yards miles from his border pointed right at him um or at his troops and he can't have that and that is that is a reasonable thing for him so he's already got that he's got it in uh, latvia lithuania estonia poland all those are nato members now so that's the situation i mean that's one reason why he's kind of drawn a line in the sand with regard to ukraine but biden Right. He hasn't said any. He said, look, I mean, one of the things that Putin wants to do is say, promise us that you're not going to let Ukraine join NATO. And he said, no, I won't do that. There's self-determination here. And Biden, you know, he really can't do no. that. Um, so then the question is, well, what's what's Putin going to do? Uh, and that's what this whole crisis is about. Um, OK. So. How do you think that uh, the United States should treat these scenarios or treat treat the situation kind of as is? And then if it were to progress to one of these, and I have a couple other examples that we could talk about as well, uh, you know, how do we how do we see the U.S. responding? Whoever would like to start. I just think uh, continuing to give them, you know, the weaponry that they need 
right? The support that they need in terms of the training, the the special forces we already have in there, the people who are training them in all the methods. Um, I think that's what it's going to be. We're just going to fund the Ukrainian side and arm the Ukrainian side. And, and sponsor the sanctions, too. So we yeah, haven't talked so about sanctions yet. I was about yet, to ask so, about sanctions. Yeah. yeah so... You know, cutting off the gas pipeline to Germany, you know, finding other sources for gas for Europe. That's going to harm Russia. They can't just turn to China and start. I mean, they eventually could, but they don't have any pipeline to carry their gas and sell it to China. That would be their other venue, right? So the State Department has considered uh, the harshest sanctions ever placed on uh, Russia. And they're considering place uh, placing sanctions that would freeze all of Putin and his inner circle's bank accounts, I believe it's just outside of Russia, nothing in Russia, but still significant amounts of money and holdings, and they would freeze property holdings, all of that. Are, are you for that? Is that too far? Is it too aggressive? No. No, oh, I think it's great. Yeah, that he's got to do that. But but the indications are that he's got something like, uh, what, $600 billion in currency stashed away, anticipating, I think, this conflict. I, I, I don't... I, he could... They, they have sanctioned proof their economy... Yeah. But some are saying that what what we do could be too much for them. They may not be able to handle it. And I think Putin's worried about that. I think one of the reasons that, you know, he's making this an issue is because the situation economically in Russia is not all that good. And this is a, a somewhat of a distraction. Although I must admit, from what I've seen, um, the Russian media is talking about, mm, you know, grocery stores opening up and they're not really reporting on the situation in Ukraine. So it's uh, it's got to be unless he can develop something with China, it, it would be pretty disastrous for the Russian economy. Okay, Uh, I want to kind of talk about this in a more global context. Obviously, this uh, Russia is one of the biggest economies, militaries, obviously the biggest landmass and one of the biggest population centers in the world. Uh, and they're actually, they're not huge, one of the larger population centers. And so this, everything that happens with them has global effects. So what I, I did in the questions I sent you guys, I did give some context for this, but what, what do you guys see as the global scope of the impact of this conflict what what can it affect what how can it affect future conflicts the way that it's how can the way that it's handled affect future conflicts or uh change how we see things do we do we start to see how maybe not everything should be seen as aggression is you know allowing russia to have a little bit okay when they already when we already have so much against them so to what what like changes in global uh, affairs could could you guys see happening from this? One odd thing I think is I think it's a lesson to keep your nuclear weapons, right? So Ukraine gives up their nuclear weapons in the 1990s with a understanding that no one will invade them, and with a guarantee from Russia and Britain and the United States. I mean, Ukraine was the third largest nuclear power. Right? Are there 130,000 Russian troops in Ukraine's border if they have nukes? I don't think so. No, yeah. I, I don't think, think so. Have, I no. think I think it's a lesson for countries like Iran. Look, if we have nuclear weapons, people won't invade us. That's exactly what Kim Jong-un in North Korea is thinking, too. Are there 130,000 troops on Ukraine's border if they're in NATO? No. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no, then you might have to use those nukes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think though, in in terms of global, unless Anna, do you want to add anything? Because globally speaking, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting that um, Putin, you know, with the Olympic um, ceremonies, went and talked to Xi of China. And they, they had uh, some agreement. And their agreement was, um, okay, I'll support you in the Ukraine because we don't want, you know, American hegemony in the area. We don't want NATO sort of playing a major role in global politics. And by the way, he wants Taiwan. And um, so I think they have they have kind of a not to mention the South China Sea. So I think they have a common sort of goal here in terms of reducing American power in order to take advantage of a potential vacuum. Do you think that the United States reaction to this is a predictor or has any sort of effect on how we would respond to some some similar action by China towards Taiwan? Well, we the, Taiwan is an ally, um, and and we have armed them. Do we um, have a joint defense treaty with them? We uh, that has ebbed and flowed, but at, at this point, I think we have said that that we would um, protect them. But I think there's also the one. I think it's called security ambiguity. Yeah, or something. we haven't made it clear what we, we do in Taiwan. We've one China policy. Ambiguous. Yeah, it's sort of historically recognized, but not, but too, um, too. There used to be a treaty. Yeah, it expired, and there's not been a new one. Right, that's mm. the ambiguity. So yeah. there was a 25 year treaty signed in 1954. I know, but the Senate has said something about if you know, and warned she that if something happens, they they would have to respond, whatever that means. They might have to respond. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that the United States is more likely to put U.S. troops on the ground in Taiwan than in Eastern Europe? I don't think the United States is likely to put troops anywhere. No, I agree. Or to even fly, you know, fly U.S. sorties of aircraft, or or have U.S. Uh, U.S. personnel fighting. Do you think it's more likely to happen in Taiwan than in Ukraine? I don't. I think we've just gotten out of our wars and we're not likely to go back in. But I think we'll do all sorts of support, all sorts of economic sanctions. But mm-hmm. I think we're gonna we're going to let them have their Afghanistan's now. If if we don't push Russia on this, do does anyone see them get you know being more aggressive or being more successful with their aggression in the future, or is it okay to take it case by case and at times push back and at times let them be aggressive? I do think that if um, Russia actually invades Ukraine, they would need less aggression to get more lands. Um, the um a lot of like european countries like hungary and poland um have elected really nationalistic um leaders and those sympathize with putin in a lot of situations so um they let's say they command men as he says and i do think that um that would mean a lot of 
danger to those countries because like if the leaders are friends with Putin they're more likely to like not necessarily invade but gain control over these countries yeah they're not going to give that it's, it almost reminds me a little bit of uh, Chamberlain and the Sudetenland in Germany you know you let him have the Sudetenland and then he takes Czechoslovakia and then Poland I mean I'm not saying that. It was, and that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Yeah. Like, do do we know that allowing him to get whatever else he wants from Ukraine? I mean, he already has Crimea. He's already, you know, he took Georgia. He, he He's done this in the past with other places. Do, do we know that he'll stop eventually? Or is he going to continue to try and eat up Eastern Europe? Because that would be a problem, right? Yeah, except the rest of Eastern Europe's NATO. Right, all the Warsaw Pact countries join NATO precisely to defend themselves against I think a he 1956 would. invasion or a 1968 Czechoslovakia. He would invasion. go down maybe to Kazakhstan and the, the southern states. Yeah. And and I, I, I think Anna's right. You don't have to invade to control a country, right? Right. Um, and Belarus is an example. Um, Georgia is an example. There are fascist governments. Uh, in fact, Hungary is being perceived as proto-fascist and aligned with Putin. So I think he could do it. I mean, he controls media in Russia. That was the first thing he did when he took power. I, I can easily imagine him um, sort of exerting his sphere of influence without necessarily invading, but ex- exerting power. How has United States policy towards Russia led to this situation and are there changes we should make in our pol- in our long-term policies to avoid future um, increases in tensions or violence do you see the united states having created this no i see us as reacting this is this is uh russian aggression um i don't you think, think it's plain and simple yeah i do i think um i think uh, Putin's, uh, to put it bluntly, somewhat at war with democracy. He doesn't like democracy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think democracy is um, a viable form of government in the future. And I think he's testing the limits. It I certainly wasn't viable in his, in his own country. It was not. Uh, and I think, you know, the whole experiment with perestroika, Glasnost, and, and Gorbachev, um, uh, irritated him <laughs> and he's trying to revive sort of what's left of the Soviet empire. And I mean, Oh, sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to say that. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily think it was the U S that caused this. Um, I, but I do think that, um, Russia is taking advantage of the circumstances. So the U S didn't really do anything, um, in Europe, like anything big since Obama and um, in Europe, um, the European Union is not really stable right now. You, the UK just left. Mm-hmm. Germany had a change of government. They, mm-hmm. They're dealing with that. France's elections are coming up. They're dealing with that. So um, and these are all really, really important countries. Um, I basically just like these are the countries that um, were having um, conflicts with Russia during the Cold War. And all of them are really, really powerful um, countries. So he's definitely just taking advantage of that 
instead of these countries like making this happen yeah so so overall then uh would you say that you see this as like a a local conflict you say he's taking advantage of a situation he's just being opportunistic is this localized or do you think this could lead to i mean there hasn't been a full-on invasion by one country of another on the european continent since world war ii and do you think this could lead to future uh, probably not right not with Na- not with most countries being in nato but do, do you think that we could that if Russia fully invades here and we don't stop them, they could invade maybe not European countries, but Central Asian countries or or whatever. Um, like, it, is that the next step or is this local? No, it's. I think it's more regional than that. But I, I don't know how far he would go. I mean, he's had trouble in Kazakhstan and other places. Yeah, in Chechnya, they don't Chechnya, want another Chechnya. Yeah, they don't. Um, yeah, but yeah. I don't think he could afford that. But I mean, he does have these big ambitions to make Russia into more of an empire again. And so I can see your point of him gobbling up some of the former republics and trying to do that. But I think ultimately he'd get, it might be a losing proposition for him. I don't, I think he's going to lose in this whole thing. So you think this hurts Russian global power? I think it's going to hurt Putin, ultimately. I think he's going to bite off more than he can chew. I mean, the Ukrainians aren't... He's already gobbled up the parts of Ukraine that are leaning towards Russia, right? And what he's headed in for is trying to gobble up the parts of Ukraine that are leaning towards the West. He's going to have a fight on his hands. They're not going to go down easy. No, And, they and are to try on. to hold Ukraine is going to be a pain in his neck, basically. Yeah. yeah. In fact, his own military advisors say, hey, you know... We can we can um, get a quick victory in, in Ukraine, but whether or not we would survive a long-term insurgent kind of conflict, uh, going back to Afghanistan even, would is yeah. unclear. Yeah, and, if, no, and no one wants to deal with an, injur- with an insurgency. It's not no, worth it. It's There's not. No, no piece of land is worth it, especially when you have the greatest land mass in the world yeah and um, there'll be a very well-armed insurgency that's yeah. what i'm saying we'll just pour weapons full of american in there. weapons absolutely flush with american cash and it'll be like his afghanistan was before we had an afghanistan yeah um anna could you talk a bit about how this crisis is being reported in the hungarian press well depends on whose news are you reading um the government definitely has hold of a lot of like news sources, um, or at least these news sources are leaning leaning um, for the government. These um, these are these don't really report anything about it. Um, I sometimes read these because um, cause it's like really like I, and I compare the other media, um, and and it's really interesting. Um, Mr. Orban, our um, prime minister, had just had a meeting last week with Putin while everything was already really escalated. Um, and everything that was reported on in his media was just him agreeing over some grass, price, uh, grass prices. Um, so it's definitely like not as importantly reported as it should be, but if you're leaning like reading um not 
government-owned news sources, then you'll definitely hear about it the same way you hear about it here. What are you seeing about it on Hungarian social media? Actually, I, I don't see anything about it. Really? I would say it's coming up on American social media, but not nearly as much as many other conflicts. I do think it gets less attention for being in Europe. People like to think about Middle East conflicts or um, African conflicts. Generally, they, they like to talk about developing areas. and They don't see what's going on in what's considered to be the first world. The national media, that's not true of the national media. They, no, I'm, they, talking, I'm talking about on social media. Just social, The, yeah. the people making content and uh, resharing content. The yeah. national media certainly is focusing on this. It's on the front page yeah. of the New York Times just yeah. about every day. Every day, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shara, you told me before the show that there was something you wanted to add. Oh, yeah. I mean, in terms of multiple choice questions? Yeah, you had a multiple choice question oh, for me. Are we wrong It's a bonus the for the here? listeners. Okay, well, you know, Chuck, you were always amazing with multiple choice questions they're not too hard no no well you have an instinct for them so um here's my question and uh is the ukrainian crisis mostly about oh god uh a resurrection of stalin's cold war legacy of establishing an iron curtain to protect russia from the west i'm sorry oh you oh you mean the legacy of stalin is russia not stalin's personal legacy yeah okay. not his personal but he he went into eastern europe right, right after with the, with the army yeah and then he was supposed to leave and never did because he wanted a buffer between the west and russia or what would become the soviet union right which is reminiscent a little right. bit of Putin, right? Or is this uh, a Warsaw Pact reaction to NATO expansion? Because the Warsaw Pact, they saw even in the in the 40s, they saw you know uh, U.S. influence and British and and French and responded appropriately. So that's B or C. Is it is it Putin's attempt to reverse Gorbachev's dissolution of the Soviet Empire? And there are elements of that. Or D, a civil war dealing with the reintegration of Russian nationals in Crimea and eastern Ukraine. Or he could add another one. Maybe it's just Putin's ego. So I certainly don't think it was D. It could be E. What was A again? A was the Stalin's legacy. He wants a he wants a a buffer between Russia and the West. This is possible. I wouldn't call it a reaction to NATO expansion because he's been aggressive in Ukraine since before they were interested in NATO. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that C the NATO expansion one? No, that's B. That's B. And, and then what's C? Putin's attempt to reverse um, the dissolution of the Soviet Empire. That's possible. I said that it wasn't D, right? Yeah, the Civil War. Oh yeah, it's not that. I I, I think it's 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 mainly a mix of C and E. Putin Ooh. Putin has a big ego. I don't think that this is necessarily. Uh, we know Putin has a big ego. <laughs> I, I he rides tr- uh, tanks shirtless. I don't think that I I don't think this is necessarily in the best interest of Russia. So that's where the ego thing comes in. I think that... Yeah, he's a Tony Soprano of Russia. The best interest of Russia right now is to continue to develop their economy and yeah. weather the COVID crisis. Yeah. Um, but I, I also would say that he has tried to reestablish the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the great Soviet Russia. Mm. 
that not that he'll ever get it back to what it was or that what it was was particularly good for Russia or Europe or Russians or anyone who was living in it. But I so I, I think it's a combination of those two, really. OK, well, as you could make the argument for any one of these, <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> which I used to do when I gave tests at Harley. <laughs> They're all right. <laughs> Would anyone else respond differently to to that set of options? I, I just think it's a mix of all of those, actually. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that as well. I mean, Putin has been ambiguous about his goals, right? It's unclear exactly what he wants. Well, the closest he came were the 2015 Minsk agreements where he basically said, um, and I think when McCann showed up uh, and talked to him, the, the media said, well, that Putin responded positively to that meeting, and they haven't really reported on what it was he, he liked about it, but, but it, there's pretty clear evidence that he... Um, he wants to go back to the Minsk agreement. There was another one in 2019, the Normandy agreement that fell apart. But basically, it's about establishing, you know, Russian influence in eastern Ukraine and granting the rebels in uh, in eastern Ukraine amnesty for any potential crimes. So I think that's going to be the starting point that he wants. And then he's going to just maintain pressure on the West not to let the Ukraine into nato and nato's own charter said if there's a controversy about integration into nato that um they it basically neutralizes their application so i think he's going to get what he wants but assuming he doesn't invade so you think it's clear what he wants uh, as far as the goal of the specific conflict you, yeah, his I, what I what I more meant was it's unclear how this plays into his global picture. Well, it's sorry, it's unclear what his global picture is. We know what role it plays if we can figure out what his goal is. Just stop Ukraine at this point. That's it. Stop the bleeding, right? I mean, so many of these countries have entered NATO, and uh, he didn't respond. And uh, and I'm be, beginning to think, uh, you know, that he's just reacting now in an extreme way to try to prevent because ukraine is huge fourth largest landmass in europe yeah and it's a breadbasket too i mean that second country, largest wheat producer in europe yeah it's it's everything that um that putin wants to not only geopolitically but also economically to help russia yeah i wonder if it might end up being split yes you know a pro west side and yeah. then could, his side could yeah. you see there being a plebiscite in the east well yeah, almost too late for that because he's got troops in there and, and people have uh, immigrated out and left and gone towards Kiev. So I, it's not a, not a fair vote anymore. Yeah, I don't see that coming back, though. I don't see Eastern no, Ukraine I, coming no. back. And I they're don't either. Pro-Russian. Yeah. They're Russian speakers. They're pro-Russian. Yeah. They're Russian speakers. It right. makes sense he would maybe annex it, right? Uh, yeah, much like Crimea, although that was a plebiscite, but the opposition didn't show up in Crimea. Right. But who knows if he annexes it, if these armed groups really stop being violent. They could just be anti-state. Yeah, it's possible. They're, it's unclear how affiliated they actually are with Russia. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Does anyone have anything else to add? I just think he's not going to want to give up the new economic opportunities he has in, in, you know, with Germany, right? In, you know... Major pipeline about to he open up. 
the, the economy it, needs right? it. Right? Yeah. He cannot... They, they're sanction-proof only for so long. You know, they can, their currency can survive only so long. It, their entire economy can go in the dumpster because of sanctions eventually. And they, he knows that, and it's not worth it. Yeah, that's why I think he, he'll, he'll just take the Russian part and he'll back down. Yeah, or just keep a presence there, you know, uh, but on a lesser scale because there's going to have to be some withdrawal or or Biden in the West, they're not going to, you know, relinquish uh, it in the media. So, I don't know. But, yeah, it probably will end up like that. Anna, anything else to add? Yeah, I do feel like the invasion won't actually happen. Um, but the threat of it is scary enough to Western countries to act on this. And I really hope that that won't happen, to be honest. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, all three of you, for joining me today. It was a pleasure talking to you. And that is a wrap on this episode of Chats with Chuck. I'm coming back at you with another one this week, previewing the Super Bowl, back with my good friend, Kai Rogers. It's going to be a hell, hell of a lot of fun. This was interesting. And that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Packers fans are not allowed. <laughs> oh, that hurt, Chuck. That hurt. <laughs> all right. All right.